So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, I wanted to let you know that, um, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I love those Christmas songs. I like the old-fashioned songs. I like the new songs. That one was, I, I never heard that one we just did before, but it was so pick, you know, catchy, I was able to sing along. And like I said, I did hear it once this week, and I was already stuck in my head. And I, I love those Christmas songs, even ones that don't really make sense. I mean, I, I'm not talking about Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Because we all know that it's totally possible when you're walking around at Christmas Eve. That could happen. I'm talking about Silent Night. You know that song, totally unbelievable. I mean, all is calm, all is bright. I've been in a hospital room after childbirth, and uh, I wouldn't use that terminology to describe that. But those aren't the words I'm talking about. I'm talking about the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I mean, come on. Give me a break. We know that babies cry when they get woken up by cows in the middle of the night. And I, but I do like the song, and I do like the, the phrase, even though you have to disbelieve, right, you know, that it happened. But I do like the part of the song that says, sleep in heavenly peace. Heavenly peace. This is week two of our Rediscovering Christmas Advent series. We started out by talking last week about how Jesus helped us rediscover hope, and today we're going to be reminded of how we can rediscover peace, heavenly peace, personal peace, relationship peace, true peace. And the big idea of today's message is that true peace is only possible through Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. When we talk about peace, it's helpful to begin with the definition of the word. It's too easy to throw around that word as some kind of, you know, catch-all with no real meaning. Like, uh, for example, that old movie, Miss Congeniality, about beauty contestants, then the, uh, the guy says, what does society need most of all? And every single one of them says, world peace, world peace, world peace. Until the main character says, Harsher penalties for parole breakers. And everybody stares at her and she goes, and world peace. And then everybody, yeah, world peace, that's what we need. That's the world's definition of peace. It means freedom from disturbance, tranquility, a time in which there is no war. But according to the Bible, there's a deeper, more meaningful definition to that word peace. It's more than just an absence of conflict. But there's also something added to that as well. The Hebrew word for peace, I'm sure you've heard it, is shalom. It means complete or whole or make sound. For example, in Joshua 8.31, the word shalom refers to a stone with no cracks in it. So that could be, a rock could be called shalom. There's no cracks in it. Or it can refer to more of a complex system, not just one brick but a brick wall that has no cracks or no gaps. That wall could be said to have shalom. So shalom refers to, a, it could refer to something with no cracks, but also a complex system that is complete with no missing pieces. For example, Job said his flocks were shalom when he counted them and there was none missing. They were complete, they were a whole. So that's one way to look at the word shalom. 
And when you think about that, you know that the world that we live in is obviously lacking world peace. For all of human history, there's only been a couple hundred years where historians can say that there was no active wars taking place. And military historians will tell you that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of history. That there was more fighting, more wars, more bloodshed that took place in the 20th century than in any other time in history. Even today, there are countless countries that are involved right now in active war. But we also lack peace when we when it comes to how we govern ourselves in society. You hear all the time on TV, what do they say? Our nation is divided. And I hear it so much that I've begun to wonder if the people who are telling us this are the people who want to see those divisions happen. I mean, you probably have more in common with someone across the, the political divide than you realize. But what? Com but you know what? Conflict is good for TV ratings. And creating division is easy in a, in a society as a whole that doesn't know God. And it happens to all of us, though, on the, in the interpersonal uh, realm as well. Our relationships with our family and our friends. Galatians chapter 5 includes strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions as all types of things that are works according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit. And those are outworkings of Generally, um, what he's talking about in Galatians 5 is a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, doesn't have true peace. But even those who are Christians, we know that it's easy, right? Especially around the holidays, especially, you know, um, just life. Every day, you know, there's divisions within your relationships with your family and even your friends or even your coworkers, right? And then finally, there's this lack of inner peace. We don't have peace with ourselves, Christmas is might be one of those times of the year where you get these warm, fuzzy feelings, right? You you remember the times, that the good times when you were young with your family. You know, we all have bad times. If you remember the good times, or maybe you're creating special memories with your family now, and those things make you happy. And I do appreciate it when people say that you have to keep that Christmas spirit all year round. Right? I don't, I don't mind that. That's okay. I get that. But you know what? That's a lot of work. That's a lot of Hallmark movies to watch. It's not really sustainable. It's not. I mean, when you are always going that there is no more, and you realize you have to be filled with an outside source because your peace, if you're trying to make it up on your own and, and work for it with your own effort, you are going to get tired. You need an outside source of peace that will never run out. So that is all part of um, part of the biblical definition of peace as well is uh, is your own personal peace. Shalom in the Bible can refer to a person's well-being as well. I think that's because our lives aren't just like a brick. Our lives are more like a brick wall or a city made of bricks, right? We are complex individuals. We are complex people with many moving parts. And when one part is out of alignment, it can affect the rest of your life as well. So our shalom breaks down. It's like a crumbling wall. It needs to be restored. You know, a funny thing about the word shalom, too, it's used throughout the Bible, and this is kind of like a biblical word study that I wanted to do with the word shalom here, is that you can use it as a verb. It's used as a verb in the Old Testament. So to bring shalom or to shalom a person, that means you want to help make them complete. Well, let's study to shalom a building. In Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 9, 
It says he brought shalom to the unfinished temple because he put the final brick in. So he shalomed that temple by placing that final brick in the wall there. But when it comes to a person, if you wanted to shalom a person, it's not just about uh, fixing. Um, it's not just about saying, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry I smashed your car. It's more than that. It's about saying, I'm sorry I smashed your car. Here, here's some money to fix it. Or here, let me take you to work now. Let me help make it right. Let me fix it. It's more, it is restitution, but it's more than restitution. It's about now working together. So bringing shalom isn't just about, shaloming a person isn't just about fixing what you broke. It's about making it so now we are working together in a, in a great relationship. And that's really what the kings of Israel were supposed to do. When God finally let those, you know, gave the people kings, the king's job was to make shalom. So it wasn't just to stop war with their neighbors, but it was to work together so that we both improve so that we both benefit from a relationship, a symbiotic relationship, where you benefit and I benefit. That means we are working in shalom together. But you know what? The kings of Israel did not do a very good job at this. They were sinful, right? They were fallen. They, they made mistakes, and they were not good about being a king of shalom. Again, it's interesting because the word Jerusalem, Jerusalem comes from shalom. It was the city of peace, right? And the king of peace was supposed to be there in Jerusalem, or Shalom. But the kings didn't do a very good job at this. They didn't handle things very well. This is why the birth of Jesus is so spectacular. And what we just sang comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. It says this, um, and again, we just sang this, but it says this, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is why this is so spectacular, is because Jesus is 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that there was going to be a ruler who was going to be the prince of Shalom, and his Shalom would never end. He would do it right, and he would do it forever. And this ruler was going to be the ruler that all the other earthly rulers failed to be and do. He would bring about true, everlasting peace. You know, fast forward to the first century, and the, there's a priest named Zechariah who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he blessed the Lord and prophesied about his son John. His son John would be a forerunner to the Messiah. His son would prepare the way for the Lord. And his life ministry was just to prepare the way for the Lord. And when John... I mean, when Zacharias, the priest, found out about this, he blessed the Lord. He had a prophecy of the word of the Lord saying this about his son, what his son was going to do. And in Luke chapter 1, verses, verse 79, it says this, that we read that his job will be to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the Messiah will be the one who guides us into the path of shalom. And then the angels, they showed up on Jesus's, the night of Jesus' birth to announce to the shepherds in the field 
that they were going to announce good news of great joy for all people. And Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, I wanted to read for you. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swathing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. That's God's word. It was announced that the Christ trial would, be, would bring peace to all of God's people. And then finally, Jesus, in his own words, in his own life, his own ministry, he announced to his disciples in John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. My shalom I'm going to give to you. It was announced at his birth, it was prophesied before his birth, it was announced 700 years earlier. And you see that theme of the peace that God had promised, the Prince of Peace, and that Jesus, my peace with you. Because true, real, lasting peace is only possible through Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace offers peace that the world itself cannot give, and that you don't have on your own. So looking at this definition of the word peace, I want to look at three main reasons how it impacts our life. First of all, most importantly of all, is it Jesus brings peace with God, our Father in heaven. We read in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's because we are not naturally at peace with God. The Bible tells us that we are born as sinners and we choose sin. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by birth. And sin is breaking God's law. Sin has separated us from God. And it is only through Jesus, through faith in him, that we are brought into a right, right, brought into a right relationship with God, our creator. When God first sent the angel Gabriel to Mary, he sent Gabriel with a message of peace to give to Mary. We read in Luke 1, 26-30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Mary was troubled at this greeting, O favored one. She was very confused that he had greeted her in that way. But he came, the angel came, I should say he, the angel came speaking words of peace and words of comfort and assurance to her, telling her not to be afraid because God was with her and God had shown her favor. And so you might wonder, well, why, how? How did Mary receive so much favor from God? Was she spectacular? Was she sinless? Was she, did she do something extraordinary to earn God's approval? And I'll tell you, no, Mary was a sinner just like us. She was not sinless. She was not perfect. She found favor with God through the only way that anyone can find favor with God, through faith. She had faith 
in God and the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Like the way so many Old Testament believers before her, she still had faith in a Savior, in a Messiah, before Christ came into being. And then God did choose her, not because she had done anything special, but God chose her for that, for that special opportunity, that special job of being the vessel through which God was going to be made flesh and dwell among us. The Son entered the world, came as a child, and God used Mary to be that vessel, to be used by God. So she was favored, she was blessed, and she did have faith in God and in a Savior. God also sent an angel to Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be, and the angel told Joseph in Matthew, uh, yeah, Matthew 1.21, telling Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus actually means salvation, and Jesus was given that name because he was going to be the promised Savior who is going to bring us peace with God through from our sins through his life. So why is it that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus finds peace with God? It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. He was born into this world and he lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and be restored into a right relationship with him. As we read in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I like to talk about the gospel, how we are a gospel-centered church, and how the gospel impacts us in three different directions. First of all, through number one, and most importantly, why I'm starting with that, our relationship with God in heaven. That's why back on the wall we talk about gospel-focused worship. Number one, when God, when Jesus, when we receive, repent of our sins and receive him as our Savior, then our relationship with the Father in heaven is restored. So we worship rightly now. We're able to worship and have, we will be reminded of that through our gospel-focused worship because our relationship with him is restored. And it's because of what Jesus did with us first. And that's, that's the most important thing is that Jesus came to bring us peace with God. When the Bible says, what first, without Christ, we are at enmity or we are enemies of him. I mean, what crazy story is that the hero dies for the villain in this story, right? What a crazy story that Jesus came to die for his enemies. We were enemies of him, and now he made us friends by giving us his peace. And secondly, let's remember that when Jesus came, he gave it, he died to give us, or he came to give us peace with between individuals as well, because it's not just our relationship with the Father that is broken, but our relationships with each other are broken as well. And those need to be restored. And like I said earlier, yes, imperfectly, but um, but in a different light when we are both have a restored relationship with the Father. That's why we talk about gospel-formed community as well, because a community that is formed by the gospel is a community that wouldn't exist with those kind of relationships apart from being changed by the gospel message. You know, there's also an example of this in the Christmas story. When you think I mentioned about Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be, when Joseph first heard that Mary was pregnant, what did he do? He considered doing an honorable thing by divorcing her quietly. Not making a spectacle of it, but separating from her anyway. He must have been terribly hurt and confused, thinking, man, Mary, you're not the person I thought you were, apparently. And he must have been hurt, thinking that she was unfaithful to him. But then we read in Matthew chapter 1, 
after he had considered this, thought about doing this action, an angel appeared to him as well in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So if Mary was pregnant with any other child, Joseph would have broken off the engagement, stopped the wedding, but this was no ordinary child. This was Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so before Jesus was even born, you could say in a way, like, the gospel message brought unity to Joseph and Mary, keeping their marriage from coming apart. You know, we go through many challenges in this life, and one of those most difficult ones is when it, like we talk about with relationships. And we need to ask Jesus to be our Prince of Peace, to come and bring us peace in our relationships, to intervene, to reconcile, and to restore. We read about Jesus doing this very work in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In the New Testament, it says that, you know, in that first century world, there was, I mean, we talk about division today, there was major division in many, many ways in the first century. Women were treated way less, I mean, horrible. You know, um, people from different classes were treated very horrible in that society. And what does Paul say? That when Jesus came, he broke down those walls of hostility. There's no other place in that society where you would see free people and slaves worshiping together, men and women worshiping together, valued people from all economic classes worshiping together. It was, it was the gospel message changed the Roman society because it broke down those dividing walls of hostility. And Jesus came to break down those barriers, to bridge gaps, to bring people together, and to restore broken relationships. So as believers in Christ, we can follow the footsteps of Christ as best as we can. Where he's, you know, Colossians 3, it says, Let the peace of Christ dwell in you, dwell in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So if you are in Christ, if you are a member of this church, you are called to peace, to reconciliation, to set aside your own wishes and to think of the wishes of others, to think not first of yourself, but to think of others and how you can love and serve and care for another person. And Jesus comes to bring us peace with one another. And thirdly, Jesus came so that we could have peace in our own hearts, peace within ourselves as well. Because we talk about that dividing wall sin that only separates us from God, Sin causes problems in our own heart as well. And sometimes that's the worst of all when we feel it in our own hearts. Constantly fighting anxiety and stress and inner turmoil, we desperately need the inner peace that Jesus brings into our life. Last week we looked at a man named Simeon. God had promised Simeon that he would not taste death before he saw the Messiah, before he died. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to be in the temple. We don't know how often he went, but he was there that day when Joseph and Mary showed up with baby Jesus. And the Holy Spirit moved in Simeon's life, knowing that this was the one that he had hoped for, like we talked about last week. And he took him in his arms, and he praised the Lord. He praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Dear Lord, let your servant depart in peace, he says, because I know that it, what you have promised is brought to fulfillment. 
now we can have salvation. If you know the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can die in peace. You can have that peace. That's what I told Frank this week. The peace is offered to you as well. You can have the peace of Christ. You can have the peace of knowing that he's going to be with you in this life and he's going to be with you in the life to come when you trust in him. Simeon had this wonderful example of Jesus bringing personal peace to his own life. You know, each one of us has things. I, I did a, has things that we call uh, a bucket list. I don't know if you have a bucket list or not, or just in your mind, oh, I'd like to do that, you know, before I kick the bucket. That's where that phrase comes from. And I did a funeral this week, and as I was saying goodbye to the people at the funeral that we did, I, I didn't know the person that I, that I did the funeral for, but I knew everybody else, a lot of other people. And one guy I know from the fire department, he, he walked up and said, you know, this is my third funeral in two weeks. I said, man, I'm so, so sorry. He said, three people. He goes, so finally, he's like, I just, you know, I, I just bought a plane ticket to Florida. I just went down to Florida, rented a car, drove all the way down. I wanted to see the southernmost point in Florida. I wanted to see that buoy. That was on my bucket list, you know. And I was just like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. I just got in the car, I just went and I did it. Because I was just thinking, oh, there's... I was just thinking about life. I'm just thinking about life. Yeah, I just went out, saw the ocean. Okay, I saw it. Came back home. <laughs> I guess you can do that when you're retired, right, Frank? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. But it made me think about like we all had those things in life that we want to accomplish here on Earth. Well, Simeon, he had one item on his bucket list. Simeon said, "I want to see the Lord before I depart, and I then I can depart in peace." And when he said, I see this, he says, this is what I needed to see, to be assured of salvation. And he praised God, saying, Sir, now let your servant depart in peace. Because he embraced Christ. I mean, I, we always talk about embracing Christ. He literally, right? He literally got to pick up the Christ child. I mean, what an amazing joy that he must have had that very day. And I'll tell you, when you put your faith in Christ, you can literally, spiritually, as in a spiritual sense, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have that same joy and that same confidence knowing that you have that peace of Christ. No matter what kind of difficult circumstances that you might be going through this week, when you know that you put your faith in Christ, whenever the world is crazy, you can still have inner peace. One of my favorite Bible verses is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorites, and I tell you, there were many days this week where I prayed that prayer. Where I had to pray that prayer. And like I said before, I had that frame on my office wall. Because that was such an important Bible verse, that anxiety anxiousness in my own heart, my own life, and praying that I could understand that God is with me, that he will guard my heart and my mind, and then different situations and difficulties that are out of my control, I just want the peace of God in my life. So praying to him, petitioning him, trusting in him, being reminded of these wonderful truths of the gospel message that are true, we know, because of Christmas and the Christmas story. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God, but trust also in me. My peace, I leave you. I give you my peace. 
So do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Only Jesus can provide the peace that surpasses all understanding. So, in conclusion, let's remember why Jesus was born. To give us peace with God, to give us peace with one another, and to give us peace in our hearts as well. And that is only possible because of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. Without him doing that, there would be no peace. And without Jesus being born as a baby at Christmas, there would be no cross. And so I ask you, do you have peace with God this morning? Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. When you turn from your sins and put your faith in God and Jesus Christ to save you, then you know you can have peace with God. Do you have peace with yourself this morning? If your faith is in Christ, then you can have the peace of God. And do you have peace with others as well? If you have your faith in Christ, then you have given, you've been given those resources that you have. You have the Holy Spirit now living in you. And Scripture says, if at all possible, live at peace with others that are around you. If it is all possible, do your best to live at peace with other people. And that takes the work of the Holy Spirit being with us. Because we can't do that on our own. We try to do it on our own, we're just going to mess things up more. But Jesus has the answers because Jesus is the answer. He is the Prince of Peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. That's our prayer this morning. The angels proclaimed it to the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And the words of that promise still ring true, still ring in the air in this Christmas season. As we worship and adore Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, sending, giving us peace as the Prince of Peace. And then promising to his followers, to us, that his peace will now be with us. But these things that we've talked about, we can't do on our own. We can't make ourselves good enough to be accepted by a holy God because we are sinners. And so we trust in you for our salvation. And we can't even restore relationships with other people. We need the Prince of Peace to help teach us how to do that, how to ask for forgiveness, how to be humble. And God, we need the inner peace in ourselves, in our own hearts, in our own anxious thoughts. We pray that you would be our Prince of Peace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.